Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Magic Story Podcast, where we go behind the scenes with the people who create the worlds and characters of Magic the Gathering. I'm Blake Rasmussen, and I'll be your host. And today, we're here talking with senior game designer Doug Beyer about what was easily the most requested topic for this show, uh, the creative process. So we'll talk about where the stories start, how characters and concepts come to be, uh, where the creative and the card set interact, and uh, how the final story ends up on your screen and on your cards. So welcome, Doug. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's um, let's start at the beginning and work our way forward. Tell us uh, first about the creative team. How many people are on it? Uh, what are their roles? That sort of deal. We have about uh, 10 to 12 folks uh, split across the sort of story half of the team, which are uh, writers and game designers who focus on the lore and uh, words that uh, occur in the card. And uh, the art team, which is uh, concept illustrators, graphic designers, and art directors. Okay. Uh, and what, uh, I know the team has a lot of various different backgrounds, very diverse backgrounds in some cases. Where, where do you find all these people? Um, <laughs> all over the place, really. So uh, people have had all kinds of um, trajectories in get, coming to the creative team. Um, we've had folks who were originally magic illustrators, uh, folks who were history teachers or journalism majors. Uh, I came through the uh, web team years ago. Uh, I was initially a software developer. So um, people just from all walks of life, and that really helps, all those inputs help our worlds feel richer. Mm-hmm. The the breadth of experiences that we, we weave into the characters, we, we really like look everywhere to to find creatives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Kaladesh. Uh, how long ago did you start working on Kaladesh? We always start uh, the initial ideas for a world up to a f- couple or, f- or two or three years in advance of when it releases in the real world. Okay. So. Uh, we were looking at the glimmer of an idea for Kaladesh uh, up, you know, two plus years ago. Okay, so let's talk about that glimmer of an idea. When when you uh, come up with the concept for uh, a block story, do you start with uh, the the place or the story? So, for example, did you? Did you know we were going to Kaladesh and then figured out that Tezzeret was there doing something weird? Or did you know Tezzeret was doing something despicable and you figured out it was happening on Kaladesh? There's definitely an interaction between uh, the mechanical themes and the, the setting that we're going to head to and the story. Uh, but largely it's the setting that goes first and then the story builds around that. Um, there's, there'll be exceptions in Magic's history, but uh, in large part we know the world first. And then we're building the characters all around. Like, who's going here? Why are they showing up in this place? Why is it exciting? Like, given that we're going to Kaladesh, mm-hmm. who's up to what here? And then we latched onto this idea of Tezzeret, who is an artifact mage. He'd be a natural fit in this place. And he's connected. We, we, we weave him into the plot after we know the, you know, the backdrop of, of where it's all going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know. Then we're like, who who's an awesome antagonist or, or protagonist to, to uh, get in Tezzeret's way, and we and we see uh, Chandra and the the Gatewatch, and the, but again, all these things interact. They're, it's not just one than the other. It, like the the ideas reinforce each other the more ma- sense they make. It's like it'd be awesome to go to Chandra's homeworld mm-hmm. and for her to face Tezzeret, for them to be at odds, um, and 
you know, like I said, that they they reinforce each other. The, we we get more excited about these these ideas interacting. They come together and they all make sense as one package. And then we're like, okay, we know what we're going to do this. You know, this next fall, we're going to go to Kaladesh. We're two falls from now. <laughs> Um, so when, when you're painting out that picture and, and, and there's all that back and forth, how does that process work? So it, is everybody in a writer's room and you're throwing ideas at a whiteboard? Is there a team lead? What's, what's the deal there? Right. So uh, when we were setting down, uh, when we started kind of with Tarkir to, to focus more on sequential short story fiction on the web, we were trying to come up with a process of, of how we're going to approach this. What's we're going to do, you know, we're going to turn away from uh, so much uh, focus on individual one-off stories and more like creating, a, you know, one woven narrative. Mm-hmm. So we looked around for models of other companies doing this kind of thing, other examples of this going on on the web, and there aren't a lot of models. There, there yeah. aren't too many other companies that are doing this, something like this. So our main model is really television. So um, there, we found much more information and much more... Uh, sort of process examples for, for doing this uh, in TV writer's rooms. So we had had a standing meeting that was called the writer's room that we're like, okay, we're going to bring together everybody who's going to be working on the storyline of this set or this world, and uh, we'll plot out who takes what episodes, you know, we'll, we'll sort of break the episodes. A lot of terminology, again, brought from uh, television story writing. And... We'll, we'll, you know, create this arc across multiple episodes, and then we'll assign out each one who's going to write what. Um, we, we decide that based on, like, sort of who's excited about a particular plot point in the story or who's excited about a character or, or an interaction between characters. And then uh, those folks go off and write their episodes. They come back, you know, they, they, they pitch a direction. They have sort of scratch dialogue, and we, you know, we improve on that dialogue, and we... Uh, they eventually come out a final script, and then that's, you know, one final rewrite. There's, like, many rounds of rewrites and that sort of thing to make sure all these individual episodes cohere as one giant story plan. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can't, uh, please don't kill off that character in episode four because I'm going to have a cool <laughs> moment with them in episode seven. Or uh-huh. um, and yeah, so, and, and the the hope then is that we, you know, get this uh, unbroken narrative that, that is... Uh, built by many different authors. Okay. So you said you started that process around Tarkir. Uh, now that we're on Kaladesh, that one was a bit unique because we had just been there with Origins. So what were some of the unique challenges um, working with what had been put forth in Origins in developing the stories for Kaladesh? Right. Because of our planning schedule, because of how far out R&D knows the the pattern and the schedule of magic sets. We knew we were going to Kaladesh this last fall. Uh, by the time we were writing uh, origin stories and stories for also uh, BFC, uh, that we, we already knew we were heading to Kaladesh. So, mm-hmm. so Chandra's storyline in particular was kind of like putting her, her in a position where she's uh, part of the Gatewatch and also uh, ready to head home. Like she, you know, what would make her face uh, the the world where she had not been back to for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a real challenge because uh, building Kaladesh into Origins well before Kaladesh releases, we had to sort of do some of, you know, pieces of our process way ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to contradict ourselves with what Kaladesh was going to look like, but we knew we were going to do the main bulk of our work 
um, on the world of Kaladesh much later. So we uh, dug down and, and focused in on some of the uh, visuals of Kaladesh that we really liked with Origins. So that would, you know, the, most of the time uh, a core set has uh, a lot of different fantasy uh, illustration inspirations for it. But in particular, we wanted to get this, these little pieces of Kaladesh right. Right. Almost, you know, two years ahead of when we were going to head to to Kaladesh. So um, then, you know, when we actually got to building the Kaladesh set itself, uh, we, you know, there were lots of final illustrations from Origins that we were really excited uh, with, and uh, we could build from that. Okay. So um, or, while we're talking about Origins, Origins was kind of cool in that um, it, it was in my opinion, and, and, and a lot of other people's, the story was really well woven into the cards. And I know that was the intention of, of, of your guys and R&D. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how um, the story team and, and the, the mechanics and the card creators all work together to create that sort of feel for sets? Um, so Origins was a good case study in uh, creative and other members of R&D working closely together. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Stoddard, who was the lead dev for uh, Origins, um, worked with Ari Levitch in this case, who was uh, heading up creative, he was sort of the point person for uh, creative for Magic Origins. And they worked together to make sure that the needs of both ends were met. Um, Ari's focusing on, like, we really want to see, um, like, uh, Gideon's spark moment um, and uh, points of view and, and elements of his life in the art of the set, and if they're if those moments are going to be shown in the art, what do the cards do? What mm-hmm. are the, you know how, how and that got built out into this, um, especially in the spell mastery cycle. Mm-hmm. So each color in Origins had a cycle of um, a uh, at each rarity there was a one depiction of that planeswalker, and you kind of see that planeswalker's progression. So like fiery impulse for Chandra, right, right. common, right, right, and then you see her Chandra's ignition at a higher rarity. Mm-hmm. It's like focusing on the you know, big blast when her spark ignites, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they work back and forth together to make sure that these spells all felt like the appropriate moment in their lives. And then, you know, from our end, we get these cool spells. We, the, the, the names focus on that story, kind of tells the story of that Planeswalker's early life. Mm-hmm. And you get these cool, awesome pieces of art that show these moments we always wanted to illustrate uh, from their origin story. So I, I heard the other day, actually, from Sam Stoddard. He, he was telling me that... Uh, for example, creative has this rule against um, dies triggers going on legends who don't actually, you know, die. Um, whether this is an actual rule or not, I have no idea. But uh, do you have any other examples of that, that that creative likes to hold the cards to? Well, definitely we always approach uh, the card design with, like, what is this in in-world in sense? Mm-hmm. And if there is something... That doesn't make sense with the with the card mechanic, uh, like the card sort of like fighting itself in terms of what this uh, the creative concept that this card represents. Then we will you know, push back. We'll, we'll talk to a developer and we'll say like, "What the heck is this thing that has both island walk and flying? Mm-hmm. Or what is this you know this thing that can't attack or block, but its power is eight? Or like what what does this make you know? How do we make this make sense? Mm-hmm. And if the if the answer is like, oh, you know, let's come up with, with figure out a cool idea and a creative solution, awesome. But sometimes it's like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Let's change the card and, mm-hmm. and make your jobs a little easier. So that's that's the kind of thing. One of the, one of the main visual cl- cues uh, that we definitely focus on to make gameplay 
more accessible is to make sure that if the creature has flying, it looks like it has flying. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have flying, it doesn't look like it has flying. Yeah. That, you know, the kind of the whippoorwill example of the, like... Was it that Lemure from Ice Age? Yeah, it's the same idea. Yeah. Like the, you know, if it looks like it's up in the sky or it's po- poised, you know, on a high place or mm-hmm. it has a blowy cloak or wings, then for, you know, <laughs> for the love of, please give it flying. And if, right. there, if there's some situation where the card has to change and development says like, Oh, this would be better as a ground creature. It's like, well, sorry, we have the art in already. This is what it looks like. Can you work with us here? And that sort right. of thing. Okay. So. Um, and I think one of the best examples of, of that collaboration uh, in recent sets have been the, the story spotlight cards, which are, yeah. which are relatively new. What's what's the process for those? Do you have an example you can walk us through? Uh, yeah. So um, in Kaladesh, there was uh, the, the final story spotlight, which was the... Um, the confiscation of all the artifacts. This mm-hmm. is the moment in the story when uh, Tezzeret has unveiled his plan. Like the entire inventors' fair was just meant as a ruse for inventors to, you know, bring their most ingenious inventions to him, and that he would, in a moment of distraction, have the consulate confiscate all these artifacts. So that's a, that's a moment we knew was going to happen in the story. This was part of the story plan. We have a we have a step in the process we call um, just episode planning, which is mm-hmm. that that kind of writer's room feel where we're, we're building out all the, all the beats and the moments in the story. So we knew this moment was going to happen. We w- knew we wanted it to be on cards and we wanted to, to express it, you know, in the, in the card mechanic somehow and flag it with that story spotlight uh, tag. Um, so we worked with uh, development at the time uh, and, you know, what express, like development, for example, was like, we don't want a really powerful, uh, gain control of all your artifacts spell in right. Kaladesh, which is a set that has just trying to introduce a bunch of sweet artifacts. And, you know, we want, don't want standard to be about, you know, I confiscate all your artifacts, you confiscate all of mine, or more likely no one plays artifacts because there's this looming blue spell that just would like grab everything. It yeah. You portray the story really well. I mean, like, yeah, we really, you know, creative really likes this design, how it takes all your <laughs> artifacts, but standard becomes miserable. So, um, instead, we found a spot where it made sense, where it's sort of like it uh, plays into the set themes, it uses energy, it also hits creatures, so it's, it's not useless in a, in a deck, you know, that, that's you know, fighting against something that doesn't have artifacts. So we, we kind of, you know, massage both ends so that, so that uh, we come at a card that's satisfying delivering, satisfyingly delivering on that uh, story moment, mm-hmm. but also plays a cool role in, in standard. And that ended up being Confiscation Coup. Right, right. Yep. Um, so now let's look at uh, when when you're not quite as worried about the cards uh, and you're and you're just looking at creating characters, many of which make it onto the cards, but but not all of them do. What uh, what's the process like for creating a character? Um, this is another situation where sometimes the genesis is creative first, and sometimes it's card first. So in in some cases, there's a situation where uh, a designer is looking to uh, you know, create an awesome card that could be, uh, you know, a, the core of a commander deck. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, who is this person? I know we want them to, you know, be these colors and do this thing, mm-hmm. but who could this person be? And sometimes it's the other way around. We're like, there's this character, uh, you know, Dovin Bon, and we really want them to to show up in um, in the story and, and have a card so to solidify how important he is. Um, but, you know, we don't know exactly what his card should do, help us out and, and work that way. Um, so, you know, in, in cases where it's, uh, card first, 
we'll, we will look to the world guide. We'll be like, is there someone that we've mentioned on a, you know, a stray page here or there? Or if, if there's a, a cool concept illustration of someone, we don't know what they are, but they look cool. Like, let's, let's bring these together and, and tell a story about this person. Or if it's someone we, we're already excited about, we'll actually work with the, the designers and say, you know, it would make more sense if she had a monkey and that kind of thing. Like, like really express the, the, the thing we're really excited about, about this character. Well, since you brought up Karizev, can you tell us a little bit about how, um, in that process, how were the five uh, monocolored legends in Ether Revolt created? Uh, Karizev was definitely uh, illustration first. So she was in the world guide in a, in a section uh, where we just let uh, concept illustrators go crazy and just, you know, just draw us awesome people who uh, would make this world more exciting. And mm-hmm. Karizev came out of that. Um, we're like, you know, if there's a way to make a card out of this lady, she needs to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think Ether Revolt's Legends, we, we came out a scheme where we wanted the color balance of the Legends to make sense across Kaladesh and Ether Revolt. Mm-hmm. And the way it made most sense was um, a variety of mono and gold legends in set one and then for there to be a, a straight cycle of monocolor legends in set two that that made all the colors work out and made you know all, all decks have like sort of equal access to uh, powerful legends in this way um so karizev was, was sort of built from uh, the the illustration in the world guide um baral and srom were also characters from the world guide uh rishkar also was in the world guy, although we hadn't seen art of him yet, so he was kind of new for the you know we were ha- we had the card illustrator make up what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and who am I forgetting? Yehenny. Yehenny, of course. So uh, Yehenny was was a big part of this story and um, sort of took on more prominence the more Allison Lures wrote about them. So mm-hmm. uh, it was really cool to see uh, expectations grow about this character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, that. There were, and Yehenny's look was based on uh, you know, several different illustrations in the Etherborn section of the World Guide. Okay. Well, now you mentioned uh, Allison's run with, with Yehenny. How, uh, when you're creating these characters, how much of their creation is, is done by committee, people talking about it, and how much is one is it one person owning the voice or, or owning the characterization of that person? There's definitely some tendencies in, you know, certain writers will gravitate to certain characters and just be like, I love this person. I want to write about them more. And then we're like, okay, this person's awesome at writing that character. Let's mm-hmm. just give them all of the, <laughs> all yeah. of the stories that feature that person. Um, we, for, for the Kaladesh block, we looked at both sets and tried to uh, create little opportunities or look for opportunities where we could um, feature the same character in uh, a Kaladesh story and an Aether Revolt story so that there would be little mini arcs for these each of these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to see that Liliana has her, her, her little mission that she's working on within Kaladesh. She's looking to um, uh, sort of test the abilities of this newfound Gatewatch that are around her. The you know these um, goody two shoes who she travels with who mm-hmm. might be really useful someday, um, as opposed to Gideon who's looking at what his role should be uh, in in guiding what the Gatewatch is about. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Chandra has uh, tons of investment in what happens in uh, the story here as well. But even, you know, minor characters are getting uh, opportunities for little mini arcs, and we looked for ways to 
deliver those uh, mini storylines to the same writer so that they could, um, you know, sort of just spike the set in, in uh, Aether Revolt and deliver the second half of their, of their mini story. Sure. Um, now, you write stories yourself, too. What, uh, what have been some of your favorite ones or, or favorite characters to write? Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big genre fan. So uh, the, I, I was the sort of creative lead for the, for the Kaladesh block and oversaw the, the whole story arc. That won't be always me, but it you know, happened to be for, me, for this world. Um, and it's no accident that I'm also a giant Chandra fan. So, um, so you know, episodes where Chandra was going to be prominent or um, there needs to be rash behavior or, you know, poorly thought through impulsive ideas. We're sure. like, have Doug write those. Um, <laughs> um, and other authors have different uh, strengths that, that I don't have. Uh, uh, Chris Latoile is, is awesome at uh, quiet moments between the Gatewatch characters and uh, just the you know, interesting character dynamics that go between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, focus on uh, James Wyatt when it's a, a story about the the meaning of faith or the uh, importance of uh, you know, what your relationship is to a group and that sort of thing. So we, we, uh, we sort of look at the strengths of, of individual writers and find, and sometimes that means specializing in a character, but not always. You know, you know many people mm-hmm. have written Jace, and, uh, but, you know, there's definitely, uh, we try to, you know, take advantage when, when a writer has gravitated to a character and certainly have shown myself to gravitate to John. <laughs> um, how much does uh, community feedback play into later style character and plot developments? I mean, obviously, Chandra's been around for a while now, sure. um, so you, you can't help but, but hear things about how, how people think of her. Uh, so how does, how does that play into later characterizations? Um, so we're, we're always building Magic's future, you know, as, as every story comes out, as every set comes out, and we're monitoring feedback all the time. So um, we are, uh, can't go into massive detail, but we, you know, we're looking at what players gravitated to, you know, what do they, you know, what do they seize on? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, sometimes it's a minor character. Sometimes it's a, uh, a kind of story or kind of episode that uh, people responded to really well. And we're, and we're, you know, using that information to plot courses or, or make judgment calls about what we should do sometimes many years down the road mm-hmm. um and you know we've i am at the point where it's harder for me to go into specifics but uh <laughs> sure um you know i th- i think that players will see that we're always sort of ingesting their feedback like a eldrazi monster mm-hmm. and um th- i guess processing it into <laughs> future storylines nice well done <laughs> um well, let's let's switch gears a little bit before we, we start running into all of our secrets. Um, it, the, magic is is a game where we, we reflect the story as much in, in the cards as, as we possibly can. But sometimes you get things like enemies fighting on the same side. You have consulate and renegades in the same deck. That mm-hmm. that, that happens just because of how, how magic is played. But sometimes it works out in Greatest Favor. So how, how satisfying is it when you see those play patterns like, for example, Liliana versus Emrakul in the finals of a Pro Tour or 
uh, Avison saving tons of, of creatures from from destruction. How, how does that make you feel? Right. I mean that that is awesome from our perspective when when that can line up. We we always want uh, designers and developers to you know we we want to help empower them to make the game as fun as possible. You know when it it works out that a prominent story character winds up being also a powerful card in the in the format and uh, they see play and they're on camera and there's the art that we you know spent extra effort to make sure it was awesome that's just a that's a you know triple play that's a you know multiple factors coming together perfectly uh, mm-hmm. from our p- perspective yeah it's it's really awesome um tell me a little bit about a character that changed the most through the process or significantly um i do think that yeheni was uh, a great example um Yeheni started as a you know a couple lines in the world guide and uh it was allison who made that character meaningful you know granted them this personality and and mannerisms and a, and a backstory and a you know what's going to be uh, a beautiful conclusion uh very soon um and the uh maybe that's in the past based on when this and runs that's in the past great yes. awesome Hello, future selves. Um, and uh, that's just a, you know a great situation where someone can make a character blossom beyond what they were meant to be mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, we actually cleared out more room for Yeheni in the storyline because of what we were seeing Allison doing. It was just sort of like, oh yeah, that we we want to hear more about them because mm-hmm. this is um, this is funny and touching and. Uh, beautiful and you know that we didn't think that this you know tutu black creature was really going to you know seize our hearts this way but Mm -hmm. we were like okay well we clearly have to make like push this this subplot out of the way so the any can have another episode and what about the opposite direction what about a character that pretty much ended up how it was concepted um most, I mean, because of our planning process, most of them have been implemented the way we, we drew it up. It's, you know, we don't have too many that went massively off the rails in a, in a you know, bad or unplanned way. Mm-hmm. And most of them were, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're conjuring a story that uh, goes beyond any one episode, goes, goes beyond any one set. It really, you know, is part of a larger plan that's going to, you know, play out for quite a while. So it's... Um, we really we've really been focusing on keeping that plan clear, making sure that you know every creative lead along the way, every you know story developer along the way is uh, knows what the plan is, and is you know please don't blow up the the enterprise in season one because we want you know there to we have plans for uh, that further along so mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing so it's you know it's going well I'm. There are things I want to improve, but there's, you know, I'm really excited at how the uh, magic story has kind of become another one of our releases. It's another, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of another product. You know, there, there's an entire other kind of consumer who are like, yes, that's the thing I, I show up for. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I play standard, but I also read the story. Or I'm a commander fan and I also read the story, that sort of thing. Um, I'm excited how... We're, we're learning along the way and, and playing into creating just another way to experience magic. Yeah. Um, 
what's been your favorite story arc? Um, I've really enjoyed seeing uh, PNLR. So um, as we were drawing up the, the Kaladesh story, um, Pia's role was mostly to uh, shine a light on Chandra's development. So she's facing challenges through the story. Um, her impulsive, you know, Chandra's impulsiveness gets in the way of plans that are supposed to help the renegades and that sort of thing. Um, but it's been fun to see uh, Pia become uh, a real character in her own right. And, uh, and what, you know, we have now seen <laughs> that uh, Pia has gained prominence uh, in the, the very society that she was fighting against. Like by the end, she is one of the best candidates to um, lead uh, Girapur and Kaladesh in a new direction because she was so into, you know, her, her passion for the city was clear. She was always fighting for, you know, the the plight of the inventors who filled Girapur, and now she's in a position where she can um, be made fun of by her daughter, but also, <laughs> um, you know, take a role in, in developing the city in a way, you know, to, to her own vision. Okay. Uh, what, what, what are you working on now? And be as vague as possible. <laughs> um, we are always working on multiple sets and multiple worlds mm -hmm. at one time. Uh, right now we're working, uh, I was just working on the uh, winter 2019 set. Okay. Um, looking at the uh, art descriptions that are going to lead to pieces of art that go on those cards. So that was what I literally got done, you know, working on at my desk when you came, came and grabbed me. <laughs> um, all right, and one last thing before we go. Um, Amon Ket is, is our next set coming up. Can you give us any hints about what we're going to see in Amon Ket? Uh, so Amon Ket, we will finally get to uh, see the direct actions of, of a magic villain who's been lurking in the, um, the wings for, for too long. Um, we know that... Uh, this dragon's uh, reputation is great, but we haven't seen too much stuff on camera where he's actually uh, taken direct action. And by the end of that block, we will definitely have seen um, the impact of this character. Very cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, well, thank you, Doug. And uh, thanks to the audience for joining us on this week's episode of the Magic Story Podcast. We'll be back next week with James Wyatt to look behind the scenes at the creation of the Magic Art Books, uh, as well as the Plane Shift D&D supplement and how the world you, and uh, how he straddles the line between uh, the D&D world and the Magic world. And we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.